Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. Two scenes from a pandemic. Scene one, a windy day in late April. Taylor Firestein is moving bags of food around in the back of a delivery truck. These are for home drop-off for members of the Innervale Food Hub in Burlington. Um, this is one of our vegetable like packs, basically. So it's mostly root vegetables. And this order is headed to a housing complex in the South End, where Taylor's parked right now. She's been making the rounds all day. So this would be 220 of today. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sweet deal. Local food brought right to your door. So sweet that in a single week in mid-April, the food hub saw their demand quadruple. We went from 84 home deliveries to 375. This is Reed Parsons, also with the food hub. When her team saw this spike, they made a tough decision to stop accepting new members until the summer. We talked this over a lot. And ultimately, I mean, we had to make this decision in order to keep our staff safe. Scene two, also late April, also windy. The Vermont National Guard is set up at the Franklin County Airport in Swanton. They're here to hand out MREs to Vermonters in need. MRE stands for Meal Ready to Eat. It's a military-style food ration. There's a lot. We have 48 boxes per pallet. Uh, there's 31 pallets per truck, correct, sir? No, 31 pallets total. The exact number of MREs is a little elusive. 12 MREs per box, correct, sir? 16, I believe. 16. 16. So you do 48 times 16 times 30. However many it is, it's not enough. We started at, what, 8.30? 8.30. It's yep. now 8 of 11, and we're almost completely handed everything out. This is Sergeant Nicole Hill. Everyone's super appreciative. They're really happy and, like, thankful that we're doing this for them. A lot of people are also... Um, getting picking up for their neighbors or elderly people in their neighborhood that they know can't travel or shouldn't be traveling. So what do these two scenes have in common? It is weird and or hard to get food in Vermont these days, no matter your circumstance. And it's got a lot of us rethinking how we feed ourselves. My husband's a builder, so he is building a chicken coop and adding a few more garden beds and, and thinking This about is Jamie McKenzie. She lives in Waterbury. A couple months ago, she asked us a question that today seems prescient. From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. Here on the show, we answer questions about Vermont that have been submitted and voted on by you, our audience. Because we think our journalism is better when you're a part of it. Jamie McKenzie's question is our latest winner. If food shortages become a reality, would Vermont farms be able to feed the population? Jamie originally asked this question in the context of climate change. You know, I have kids and definitely climate change is a key issue for me and my family. Of course, right now things are things have shifted. The climate crisis is still happening, but now we've got a health crisis too. At first, COVID-19 caused a bunch of panic buying. 
And now it's starting to mess with our food supply chain. It's hard to be going through this experience and not having more anxiety and more worry about that, especially as you're seeing images floating around social media of empty shelves in the grocery stores. So in this pseudo-hypothetical, could we do it? Could we, as a state, feed ourselves? We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. All right, so you're recording. Okay, I am. Great, and I am recording. To find out how much local food we normally consume, I called up Ellen Kaler. She's the executive director of the Vermont Sustainable Jobs Fund. And we administer the Vermont Farm to Plate program. Kaler says that of all the money Vermonters spend on food and drink, about 14% is on local products. So just 14%. That means that an awful lot of the rest of what we eat comes from, it could be coming from New England, it could be coming from the United States or Mexico or China. And of course, the bulk of what we do produce here, well, it's produced by cows. The vast majority of what we produce in the state from just straight up agricultural products is dairy, and most of that gets exported out of the state. Then there's our maple syrup, pumpkins, fruits, veggies, a lot of livestock, but none of that is at the level of consumption to feed our entire population. Though in this particular moment, demand for local food is spiking. From Brattleboro, it's the busiest that we have ever been. Our business tripled in the last six weeks. To Shoreham. The demand, especially since uh, March, has really soared. To Craftsbury. We had to hustle to keep up with it, and now we're kind of getting short on stored crops that we had from last fall. That was Ashlyn Bristol of Rebop Farm, Will Stevens of Golden Russet Farm, and Pete Johnson of Pete's Greens. For Pete's Greens, retail sales have more than made up for the lost restaurant accounts. Meanwhile, in Rutland... We have a lot of um, new business, actually, just different kinds. Abby Thomas is the fifth-generation owner of Thomas Dairy. Recently, they've discovered a whole new local market, schools that are sending lunches home to students. We're able to provide them with, you know, a bulk delivery of quarts, half gallons, and gallons for their lunch program. What these operations have in common is that they're direct-to-consumer, or close-to-consumer. A lot of farms that rely on restaurants or more complicated distribution are having a tougher time right now. So maybe they have the food, but no way to get it to their customers. And everyone is trying to stay healthy, which isn't easy if you're, say, a migrant farm worker living in shared housing. Uh, Agriculture was in a bit of trouble before this pandemic, and this has not helped them at all. I'm I'm very concerned about the farmers themselves. I'm concerned about our food supply. That was Governor Phil Scott at a recent press conference. We've prepared for some kinds of emergencies, says Ellen Kaler of the Sustainable Jobs Fund. 
but not this kind. Our state's done an amazing job since Tropical Storm Irene in preparing for things like flooding. Unfortunately, we haven't really thought about what would it look like if we actually prepared for food security, if we were going to not be able to bring any food into the state for several months, for instance. This brings us back to Jamie's question. Could Vermont farms feed our whole population? As with so many questions, it depends whom you ask. Well, it's a great question, it's, and it's super interesting. I was doing some figuring this morning, and... My favorite answer came from Pete Johnson of Pete's Greens. The shorter answer is yes. If we're just talking straight calories to survive, like 3,000 a person per day... It would only take 50,000 acres of potatoes to provide all the calories for the whole state of Vermont for the whole year. And that's about a tenth of our total agricultural land. Or, if you don't like potatoes... Corn is almost as good. Wheat is harder. Wheat, you need almost four times the acreage. I did kale just for the heck of it. It performs pretty well. 120,000 acres, which is a little over a quarter of Vermont's ag land, in kale provides all the calories for everybody. (laughs) Pete Johnson knows these are extreme hypotheticals, but he's not exactly joking. What you could do is take a diversified diet and just plug in certain amounts of all these things. And from this rough math I'm doing, I think you could you could definitely do it and have not a Spartan diet, but a, but a good diet. So that's one answer. Here's another. No. Again, Ellen Kaler. A lot of the food that we eat in Vermont can't be produced year-round at the quantities that we need to be able to consume to feed the population. And I think a lot of us wouldn't be happy with not being able to eat bananas and chocolate and drink coffee and have oranges all year round. For Kaler, it's not a matter of what we could eat. It's a matter of what we want to eat. We're used to certain luxuries and also staples like pasta and rice. Of the things that we could produce year round, it's primarily things like greens, And so do we want to eat lettuce all year? Basically live on lettuce all year? I don't think that's actually nutritionally possible. Between these two unequivocal answers, I heard a lot of qualified yeses in my reporting. Yes, we could feed ourselves more than just potatoes and kale, but we'd need to value our ag land differently, value our farmers more. Yes, but we need to change the way we eat, be willing to pay for the true cost of food, And that brings us to the giant caveat of food accessibility. That is the big question. How do we broaden access to local food to everybody? That's right after this. It's Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. And this is John Sales. He's the CEO of the Vermont Food Bank. It's really hard because the farmers who are growing fruits and vegetables in Vermont can struggle to to make ends meet themselves. The food bank, by the way, helped set up that MRE giveaway with the Vermont National Guard. John Sales is aware that that kind of food assistance is the opposite of eating local. Yeah, you know, originally, where does that food come from? I'm not sure anyone could tell you. The food bank serves one in four Vermonters. We can't answer Jamie's question about feeding our population if we only focus on grocery stores and farmers markets. So in terms of the food that the food bank does supply to Vermonters through its network, what percentage of that typically comes from Vermont producers? 
Um, so as far as, as fresh food goes, um, about three and a half to four percent. That is a tiny number, but it's slowly growing thanks to the food bank's Vermonters Feeding Vermonters program, which sources from local producers. And sales says they're on track to more than double their spending on that program this year, given Vermonters' increased need in the pandemic. Thankfully, we already have relationships and we are leaning on our Vermont growers. John Sales says equal access to local food is not an afterthought in our state. Farmers markets take three squares benefits, school lunches incorporate local food, gleaning programs help distribute food that farmers can't sell, NOFA Vermont subsidizes CSA shares. All of this supports our local farmers. To the great credit of the local food movement in Vermont, that has been part of the conversation from the beginning. So I see it as both improving the health and well-being of people in Vermont who who can't afford necessarily to shop at farmers markets, but also creating customers for those farmers markets in the longer run. I realize we haven't exactly gotten a clear answer to Jamie's question yet, but... We are in relationship with other places, and I don't know if it makes sense to say, like, well, entirely food independence is the important goal. This is Grace O'Dell, the executive director of NOFA Vermont. O'Dell, like many of the people I spoke with, challenged the premise that Vermont should even be trying to feed only itself. You know, is it appropriate to think what we're really trying to do is feed Vermont and draw those borders around Vermont? Or are we talking about the region of New England? There's no way that, you know, the state can produce 100 percent of what Vermonters want. But I think that if we start thinking about, uh, you know, more regional supply like New England and New York, perhaps, you know, we could do a whole lot more here than is being done now. This is Will Stevens again of Golden Russet Farm in Shoreham. It's worth mentioning that Stevens is a former state rep. He helped create the Farm to Plate program. Ellen Kaler, who helps administer that program, agrees. We've got to think regionally. Could we start to think about what it would take to grow, raise, catch, manufacture more of the food that we want and need from within New England to feed New Englanders? Spoiler alert, Kaler thinks we could. But even then, we couldn't produce everything. It would be actually be impossible to do even from New England. But we could get to 50% regional production for regional consumption. There's been some modeling done that suggests that that's possible. It would take a lot. We'd actually need to increase uh, the number of acres under production by 2 million acres across New England. But it's theoretically possible. 2 million acres on top of the 4 million acres that our region currently has in production. And Ellen Kaler says we have to protect that land. If we lose prime farmland to uh, development, then we're going to have less land to grow on. And once that land is taken out of, of farming production, it's pretty much lost forever. So it's really imperative over these next 10 years that, in essence, we secure the land base in throughout New England, but definitely in Vermont. But it's not just about growing food. It's also about storing it, processing it, distributing it. And to that, Pete Johnson of Pete's Greens says, bring it on. I think that there's tremendous pent-up interest in agricultural ventures in this state. 
and I think there's a lot of people that have it in their background, um, grew up on dairy farms or some other connection to farming at some point in time. And I really think that there is potential for a lot more people to jump in. I'm going to say that the farmers are um, mercenary opportunists. If you give us a market, we will try our best to meet it. Again, Will Stevens. But on the other hand, um, in our personal experience, you know, we want to know that the market's going to be worth the investment. In other words, will you, the customer, still be interested, especially in a post-COVID world? What makes me a little nervous is, um, you know, is this new sense of demand and an intense interest in local food, uh, is it more than a fad? You know, is it going to last for more than a year or two until the economy comes right again and folks are going to say, uh, you know, oh, no, it's back to the supermarkets? Other than the food that's going to go out into the CSA that we have allocated, we have very little inventory left and we have this huge demand and a lot of uncertainty. Here's Ashlyn Bristol again of Rebop Farm in Brattleboro. Like, we aren't sure if that demand will keep pace or if people are going to drop off when it starts feeling safer to be out in public in grocery stores or, you know, if we hit a recession, what that's going to do to our business. Vermont farmers have an answer to our question. Yes, they could produce more. The question they have for us is, will we always want this much more? And will we always be willing to pay for it? Pete Johnson. You know, what do we spend 10% of our income on food if we ever spent more like even just 15% is just a radical transformation of the whole economic structure of food. Radical transformation is exactly what Ellen Kaler says we need. And she says this is a perfect moment for it. Do we really want to go back to the way it was? Or do we want to take this opportunity to think about something different and envision a, a new path forward that is much more about regional production for regional consumption? And the way Grace Odell of NOFA sees it, we might not have a choice. My estimation is that we're going to need to be more resilient, not less in the future. Climate change, along with pandemics, along with the potential of global trade routes being very affected. And so this gives us a taste of what's likely to continue in our lifetime. And we need to get practiced at adapting and being resilient. One of the things that I feel extremely heartened by is seeing how quickly people are adapting and how quickly farmers are figuring out how to pivot and deliver food differently. And we're coming together as a community in many ways. That feels very exciting. Thanks so much for listening to the show. We've got photos and links to more of VPR's ag reporting up at our website, bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter and vote on the question you want us to tackle next. This episode was produced by me, Angela Evansy, with editing by Lynn McRae. Our digital producer is Elodie Reed, and we have engineering support from Chris Albertine. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music, other music by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Abigail Giles, Liam Elter-Connors, Abby Course, and Pauline Stevens. 
Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund and from VPR's sustaining members. If you like our show, you can make a gift at bravelittlestate.org slash donate. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at BraveStateVT. I'm Angela Evansy. We'll be back soon. Until then, remember, be brave, ask questions. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.